0: I wanna say happy Labor Day to everyone. God appreciates your hard work and that will make sense to you as we get into the talk tonight. So we're titling this talk, Upside Down Kingdom. Now we're looking at a parable tonight uh, that Jesus told that in many ways, I think can offend people as much as it inspires people. And so, Often, Jesus told these stories in parables, but before we do that, before we look at today's text, if you want to turn your Bible to Matthew 20, that's where we're going to be today. Before we do that, let's look at this verse in Matthew 19 and verse 27, because I want to give you some context as to why Jesus told this story to begin with. Now, Jesus had just talked to the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler asked what he had to do to get into heaven. And uh, Jesus started naming commands. Around the fourth one, he was cut off. And the rich young ruler said, I've I've kept all these ever since I was a kid. And Jesus says, well, you lack one thing. Uh, Take all you have, sell it, and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. And to this, the rich young ruler went away sad because the scripture said he had great wealth. And this was something he couldn't part with. And then Peter gets this idea shortly after that because he's standing there with Jesus and the disciples. And Peter answers Jesus and says, "'We've left everything to follow you. "'What then will there be for us?' You know, I almost see this a bit as like an opportunistic point in Peter's life, right? Like, well, we left everything. Like, look at him, he took off, right? We left everything. So what is there for us? You see, I think Peter asks this question, because he's looking for what Jesus is going to say to him. But also, Jesus answers Peter here, and he celebrates the sacrifices that they made, and he talks about eternal life. But then he makes a statement that says this. He says, for the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. There you go. Thank you for the help. Um, He makes that statement, and then he begins to tell a story about it. Now we're going to get to that story in a moment, but just a quick word about parables before we do. You see, there's nothing nice, easy, clear, or conventional sometimes about Jesus' parables. Sometimes they're confusing and sometimes they disorient us. Sometimes he gives an interpretation and we, the reader, are thankful for that because sometimes they just kind of go over our head. Jesus' parables are designed to disorient us intentionally from our conventional wisdom in order to show us and teach us about the kingdom of heaven and God's way of arranging the world. And that's difficult for us because in a way we're being asked to think about the world in a way that we've never been trained or experienced in doing so. Are you with me? It's different than our conventional wisdom. So towards this end, Jesus tells parably, parables sorry to deliberately, hear it again, deliberately, I think, throw us off balance in the hope that we will stumble or fall into the world of God's grace and God's ways. You see, as long as we keep our balance, we tend to just stay where we are, and we stay with our own opinions, and we stick to what we believe and to what we think. Um... But Jesus wants to disorient us sometimes, throw us off to an extent. Perhaps Jesus wants to challenge your assumptions on things so that we will find ourselves not in our own world, but in the amazing world of God's grace. But first, let me just illustrate quickly what may come up when we find ourselves there, okay? How many of you have ever found yourself in life saying that's not fair? Anyone, right? You talk to kids, right, and they get this immediately. And I've used examples about this before. A, few, a month or two back, I talked about how at family gatherings, sometimes the most catastrophic thing you can do is pull out a board game, right, especially if your family plays like mine, right, and you're competitive. And uh, the minute someone asks for the rule book, you know it's all gone, right? Go to sleep, wake up, have coffee, get over it the next day. Um, But in life, we want things to be fair. When we're cheated, when we're wrong, we get upset. There's a certain way things are supposed to work, and when they don't work the way we're used to, we say, well, that's not fair. You see, lots of us watch sports, and sometimes if a critical call is either made by the ref or missed by the ref, we could feel cheated. We could feel like that's not fair, and that happens sometimes. If you're one of those sports fans who every week is talking about the refs, how they mess your team up well, think about your team, okay? But uh, sometimes things just aren't fair. And this isn't limited just to sports and work and board games, but it's true in life as well. As a natural human instinct, I think we want things to be fair. We want what is rightfully ours. We want to get what we earn and deserve, and for others to be judged on a similar grid as well. And so this evening, we're gonna look at a parable that Jesus told that just might hit a soft spot for us. It may cause us to react because something about it will go against what we believe and perhaps what we've been taught to believe, living life on earth. So Matthew chapter 20, if you have your Bibles, you could head over there. Here's what Jesus said. He said, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. Hmm. You've made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. It's hot outside. You know what that's all about, eh? But he answered one of them, "Am I, not, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius. Take your pay and go. I wanna to give to the one who was hired last, the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money, or are you envious because I'm generous? And then he repeats this statement again. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. I've asked many people about this parable. This parable is one that sticks in my mind. It it, it has stayed with me because I've read it many, many, many times. And when I first started reading this parable, I answered the same way a lot of people who I asked the question, what stands out to you about this parable? You know what that is? I often thought to myself, that doesn't seem fair. How many you with me? Anyone? Anyone thought that before? You've read this and you've thought to yourself, well, that just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right the way that all worked out. You see, at first glance, the parable of the workers goes against the grain of one of our society's most deeply cherished values. And that's hard work and just reward. The more you work, the more productive you are, the more you ought to get paid. How many of you have experienced that in your life on earth? Anyone? We've all probably experienced this. You see, this makes no economic sense, and this isn't necessarily a blueprint, this parable, for how to build a business on earth today, okay? So don't take it and use it that way. But Jesus was purposeful here, and he says in verse 1, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. You see, this parable is one that people can easily become frustrated with, and the reason why that is is because we are so deeply schooled in the world of the merit system, where everyone gets exactly what they deserve. Coming at it from that angle, we can immediately dismiss and we can disagree with this story, but the trouble with that is that it all comes from the mouth of Jesus. And that creates a problem for us, for those of us who follow him, if we wanna dismiss this story. You see, as long as we think that people should get what we think they deserve, we will never understand or even perceive the kingdom of heaven. And so what is Jesus trying to teach us about the kingdom of heaven through this parable? Well, let's look at the details of it, okay? It's a story about a vineyard. You grow grapes and you make wine. And we have a vineyard owner, a winemaker. It's now time for a great harvest. And if you wanna make great product, you need to harvest the grapes at the right time. And it's a time-specific and critical operation. It's hard, it's physical work, it's in the middle, it's at the end of summer, it's like how you're feeling outside right now. How many of you wanna spend the whole day today outside getting grapes, anyone, right? I'm not signing up for it, right? And uh, so you'll need manual laborers for 12-hour days for a short period of time. And so the, the vineyard owner goes to the marketplace and he hires some workers who agree to a wage. Now, for the sake of math today, let's just say this. Let's just say they agreed for 10 bucks. okay? And, and, and that's what they agreed to. Let's just say that they agreed to $10 an hour that that was the wage that they were gonna look at. I'm using a small number, because I have to do math and I'm not good at it, okay? So let's say 10 bucks, he needs to get them working because the rains are coming and harvest needs to come in now. So he hires a bunch of laborers at 6 a.m. to go work the vineyard. 9 a.m. comes around, he figures I need more, he hires more, noon comes around, all right, we can, use some more, we can use some more people to work. So he goes out and finds more. He does the same thing at 3 p.m. And finally, for some reason, he fu- he's back in town and he sees some people standing around at 5 p.m. and have not been working. And he says to them, go into my vineyard and work. And He doesn't necessarily, the story doesn't tell us that he made an arrangement with them about money or a contract, but he just said to go. And they go and they work. And this last bunch was hired at five o'clock and they work for one hour. Now let's just make a note about this here. This was the 11th hour and there were still some workers in the marketplace doing nothing. And they had nothing to do. And you wonder why someone would wait around there all day and not have any work. And the landowner asks him this question in verse six. He says, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? And their answer is very revealing. And they say to him, because no one has hired us. Which is basically them saying nobody wanted them. Nobody thought that they were the kind of people that they wanted to hire. Perhaps they were the people that you didn't want to hire. And we aren't 100% sure of that, though. We're not sure why no one wanted them. Maybe it was social stigma. Maybe it was ailment or sickness. Could have had something to do with race, because that was, you know, very real in those days, Uh, age. But no one wanted them. And the vineyard owner says to them, you go work my vineyard also. Now, of course, these workers are quite busy as they're working, but they're going to be talking among themselves. And I bet you it doesn't take them long to figure out what the going rate is for the day, for how much they're gonna get paid. Because that first group was hired and promised a certain wage for 12 hours. And so everyone kind of figures out and and knows what they're gonna make. Those hired at nine o'clock, if the going rate's 10 bucks, 90 bucks. Those hired at noon would would make $60. Those hired at three, with three hours left to go in the day, probably in their minds, would make $30, okay? And those hired at five o'clock, the last hour of the day, would get a $10 bill. Not a lot, maybe they could buy some some food or something with it, who knows. But the story starts to get really interesting here. You see, the vineyard owner begins to distribute the wages to the workers. And the vineyard owner has an idea, I'm not sure why, but he gave everyone the same amount of pay, okay? If we said 10 bucks, well then he put 120 bucks in every envelope and he calls the foreman to distribute the envelopes and gives the wages out to the workers. And everyone opens their envelopes and the same amount is in each. And you know the guys hired later are going like, you know, I got six dollars bills in here, right? The guys will work one hour. They're probably sitting there like, shh, quiet. Let's just get out of here, right? Let's get rolling, right? Don't, 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 don't mention it. There's gotta be a mistake. He must've messed up and gave us something different, right? They're probably thinking, how did that happen? Even the five o'clock workers got the same amount of pay. They all got an envelope with the same wage. In light of how we rounded up the money, each got their 120, no matter how long they actually worked. Now for the most part, this makes everyone happy, for the most part, okay? (laughs) Except for those who worked 12 hours that day. Now they're thinking, okay, it's one of two things. Either that last group gets 10 bucks and we get 120 bucks based on the metrics that we did here. Or, if they get 120 bucks, then surely we're getting $1,440, okay? I had a calculator, trust me, that's what it would add up to, okay? And the early group's thinking that the going rate's $120 an hour, we work 12, then that's gotta be $1,440, bring on the cash, right? They're probably excited about that thought, but they don't get it, and they don't get $1,440. But like everyone else, they get an envelope with six dollars bills in it. And the same wages as everyone who worked that day, no matter the time length. They receive that. And they're not so happy about it. And they're fuming. <laughs> and they're likely thinking of the argument that they're going to make about this. And they're probably about to put together some sort of speech that they're going to regret giving. And they go to the boss, the owner, and they say, wow, this is just not fair. And the cut of their argument, as said in Scripture, is this, in verse 12. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us. You have made them equal to us. You make those lazy guys that didn't sweat that aren't even tired, who haven't been here all day like we have, you have the audacity to make them as equal as us? This is what they're thinking. This is what's going through their thought towards their boss at this point. And you know what? Sympathetically, and especially in the culture we live in, I'm sure some of us have read this and thought to ourselves, well, they got a point, right? They kind of have a point. It makes sense. You make one hour workers equal with all the all day workers? But the landowner had a response ready for these all day workers. And giving the response, it's almost like he says to them Look, pals, if we agreed to $120 and that's what you got, then take it and get going. If I want to give some lesser person the same amount of money, then so what? And so there's some things we learn in this story about the kingdom of heaven. This story teaches us to ponder many things, but the overall point that we uncover here is this idea of unmerited grace, okay? Does this story that Jesus tell ever disorient you, even as you read it a little bit? It should, that's natural, because this story is not about the way in which the world we live in today is run. That's why it's disorienting to us, but it's about the kingdom of heaven. And the governance that comes from this kingdom is not based on merit, but it is based on grace. But we've known that all along, haven't we? You know, we've written about this subject. We've sang songs about the grace of God, "Amazing Grace." We tell people we're saved by grace, etc., etc., etc. But when someone starts telling a story like this—that's somebody being Jesus—and really illustrates it, it can become a little disorienting. Our guard is up, and some of us immediately think to ourselves, "That's not fair. That doesn't seem right." You see. This story is not about people getting what they deserve, but it's about people getting what they need. This story is not about how the hard working are rewarded, but it's about how the poor are blessed. This story is not about losers and winners, but about a world in which there are no losers. This story is not about great accounting, amazing record keeping, and keeping score with one another. It's about ludicrous grace. Jesus gives this story to us to help us perceive what the kingdom of heaven is like. You see, I was reading through some commentary on this recently. An author and theologian, Robert Capon, a theologian who's written some very interesting commentary on this portion, (laughs) in regards to this story, here's what he had to say in his book, and I love this line. He said, you see, bookkeeping is the only punishable offense in the kingdom of heaven. I like that. (laughs) Bookkeeping is the only punishable offense in the kingdom of heaven, and I found that pretty good. Now that's no disrespect to any bookkeepers here today, okay? We love you, we love your work, God does your work. This is a different story we're talking about here. Please keep that statement in context of the story and kingdom principle, because in this story, I think Robert Capon's point is actually very applicable. There's no room to be counting others' hours. There's no room to be counting others' works. There is no room in the kingdom to be counting others' sins against them. Think about it, if anyone else told us this story, we might flat out reject it. In fact, we might write it off, we might dismiss it immediately. But here's our problem if we want to do that. This wasn't just anyone who told this story, but Jesus told this story. And he said, this is what my kingdom is like. And sometimes, I think in our world, we have a temptation, as we live in this world, that we sometimes have a tendency to treat God like we treat business. You see, business is like a merit-based system. I work for 10 hours a day, then I expect 10 hours of pay. And we have a tendency sometimes, a temptation to treat God the same way. God, I'll give you this if I can just get that in return. And so we put forth the effort so that God will accept us, love us, and look out for us, And yet Jesus is always pushing back on this idea that getting to God is based on doing good and based on your moral behavior. Jesus is trying to get us to to see in this parable that it's not about us being perfect or anything we bring to the table, but it's really all about him. It's really all about God in our lives. You see, I grew up in the Catholic church. Some of you know this and I've talked about this before. And uh, growing up in the Catholic Church, and I'm not blaming them for this, because this was probably my own thinking, but somehow I got this idea that God was always upset with me, that God was always angry with me, and that, you know, I just had to somehow make God happy with me. So hopefully if I did enough good stuff, God would forget my bad stuff. And I felt like, you know, a hamster on a wheel. I was never, ever getting anywhere. My faith could never really take off, because I always felt like, you know, it was like the wheel of works that I was living on. And... Uh, And the direction and purpose of my life was off when I was living for God that way. Because that was me trying to earn God's love and acceptance as a young teenager. And so I understand how people can fall into this type of thinking. But I don't want anyone to stay here either. You see, the real point of this story is obvious. It's essentially like the same point as the parable of the prodigal son. How many of you know that story? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. And the offended all-day workers in this parable are acting exactly the same way as the older brother acts in that parable. You see, in that story, there's two brothers, one who's young, and he asks his dad for his inheritance, which is basically saying, you're dead to me, can I have my cash? Once you die, the dad agrees, gives him his money. He takes off, wild living, prostitutes, all sorts of things he got himself into, spent all of his money, he's poor and broke, He's working for someone, longing to to eat the food that pigs eat. He thinks to himself, if I just go home, maybe my dad will hire me as one of his workers, and I'll at least have a better life than this. So he starts going home, and the dad sees him from a distance, and runs after him, and runs towards him. And not just that, but he brings a robe, and he brings a ring, and he calls a party. He's going to kill the fattened calf, and they're going to celebrate because this young son who was lost is coming back. And everyone who reads this can get touched by this story except for the older brother. (laughs) He's sitting at home thinking, oh my gosh, why why would you ever do this for this kid? This kid disrespected you, this kid took your money, this kid wasted his life, how could you do this? And he stands there bitter and upset and angry that the father's love and grace could actually be that good. In this story, we see a similar idea going on with those who are working in the vineyard. You see, if anyone's actually treated unfairly in this story, it's probably the vineyard um, owner, right? It's not the all-day all guys who decide to work for a set amount. They signed a contract. They knew what they were getting themselves into. If anyone's treated unfairly, it's probably the vineyard owner in this case. This crazy but generous guy, he paid unskilled manual labors a bunch of money for, for an hour of work and big wages to people who are just picking grapes and grapes for one hour. You see, if anyone was taken advantage of here, it wasn't the all-day workers, it was the owner who was shelling out more money for less work. But as his argument is stated right here in the parable, it's his money and he can do with it what he pleases. And that's hard when you hear it that way, you go, wow, you got a point there, you can't really argue with that. It's his money. He can do what he wants with it, as he pleases it, just as it is God's grace, and he can do with his grace as he pleases. Amen? It's his grace, not ours. And he can do with it as he pleases, and apparently it pleases God to be very extravagant and generous with his grace. That's what pleases him. And so the choice is ours when we read through something like this. Jesus is giving us a parable of what his kingdom's like, We can drink up the grace of God or we can be angry and bitter and keep ourselves out of the party because people are showing up there that we aren't very comfortable with. You see, the choice is yours. You see, here's a question I've often asked in regards to this and it's one that's hit a chord with me recently as I've studied this over the last few years. And here's the question. Why do we approach this text and see ourselves as one of the 12-hour workers when we read this thing? Why do we approach this text seeing ourselves as one of the 12-hour workers as we read this thing? You see, if we've ever resisted this parable from Jesus, if we ever thought that doesn't sound right, that doesn't make any sense. You see, if we ever think to ourselves it doesn't seem quite fair, if we find ourselves resisting this parable from Jesus, it's for one reason and one reason only, it's because we identify in this story as one of the 12-hour workers. And so we can resonate with their offense. You see, you know, when you hear a story like this, you try to find your way into it. Where am I in this? Who am I like in this story? And inevitably, it's easy for us to come to the conclusion that certainly we're one of the all-day 12-hour workers. And that's why you might resonate with their offense. That's why you might think, you know, they make a good point about this. And it's easy to see why we would do that. It's easy to see why we would assume that we're 12-hour workers because our society teaches us to work hard and earn your money. And nobody enters this text and wants to take the role on of that person who sits around for 11 hours and couldn't find work. Not many of us assume that role. You know, people who were brought on almost at pity at 5 p.m. with one hour to go, deserving far less than the people who'd been sweating and working all day long. Our culture teaches us that this is less desirable. Do what you can, earn what you get. And this is fine in the culture of this world. It makes sense to us. But the culture of the kingdom of heaven reverses the script. And again, we see this upside-down kingdom at work again in this story. And verse 12 reveals their offense. And you have made them equal to us. This is what they were offended about. Those who were hired last only worked one hour, and you've made them equal to us who have been out here all day long. This is perhaps why we can resonate with With the offense. You see, one way of thinking about this parable, and it's not the only way, but one way of seeing this parable is in terms of Jews and Gentiles. It's not the only way, but it is a way to look at it. I'm not convinced that's exactly what Jesus was getting at here, but it still makes sense, because us Gentiles in the room, I assume many of us can identify with that, are late to the party. But we got the same grace as the Jewish people. You see, the Jews are the all-day workers who, from the very beginning, have borne the burden and the blessing because it's both to be the chosen, blessed people of God. And through it all, the, the Jewish people bore the work of God, while we Gentiles were out worshiping snakes and trees and clouds and whatever, you know, I'm just making that up, okay? But at the last moment, the last moment, God says, you want in on this? And we go, yes, why not? Then go into my vineyard, okay? And all of a sudden, we're made equals with everyone who's been on this since the very beginning. And so that's you if you identify as a Gentile. That's one way of interpreting this parable today, and I think it's applicable. But the point is, is that it's foolish to, to assume that we are all all-day workers when perhaps we might not be at all. But even if we are an all-day worker, remember the point of, of the parable. If we get upset with others being made equal to us by the grace of God, the only one who suffers from our anger is us. And we drag ourselves down. I really don't think the guys who worked for one hour and got the same pay as the 12-hour guys, as they're going off delighted, you know, surprised and laughing, it's not their problem if the all-day workers are upset at this point. And perhaps this story teaches us something about our tendency to compare ourselves with each other. Perhaps it challenges us on whether or not we live content lives. And so there's this third point here on comparison versus contentment. You see, maybe a thought about comparison and the need to worry about ourselves and our relationship with God is our inclination sometimes to compare ourselves to other people with what they got, with what they get to do, with their giftings. Do we ever do this? Do you ever find yourself thinking, well, so-and-so has like 15 giftings and I got like one, right? And, and, And you get this comparison thing going on. And yet Jesus never tells us to go there and never asks us to go there, but he offers us something so much greater and so much better. Jesus invites us into contentment in his grace and in his mercy. You see, we're not meant for comparison, but we're meant for contentment. And the scriptures speak to this. The story speaks to us. You see, part of the conflict is that the early workers are comparing themselves to those who work later in the day. And we see these kinds of questions throughout the Gospels. One that comes to mind is Peter in the book of John. In chapter 21, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at supper and had said, Lord, who's gonna betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. You see, after Jesus extends grace to Peter three times, Jesus extends grace to him after that. And Peter's sitting there wondering, well, what about him? What's gonna happen to him? And Jesus responds, don't pay attention to John. You pay attention to me and you here. Don't get too concerned about comparing your situation to everyone else, but you follow me. Don't try to get the upper hand by comparing yourself to someone else, but instead find your significance in resting in my grace and finding true contentment. Here's my thought tonight. If your significance in Christ rests on what you do or what you bring to the table, you're gonna miss the point and purpose of it all. It's not about what you do. It's really about what he did for us. And so now we ask what could be the most important and applicable question for us, and this is the take home tonight in regards to being a part of God's kingdom. Here it is, answer it in your head, not out loud, please. (laughs) Are you comfortable admitting That you are a one-hour worker. You see, because in the kingdom, this is where it all starts with humility. And admitting we don't deserve what we get. You see, often when we trust and rely solely on ourselves, it gets frustrating. It's tough and impossible to follow God when we're trying to earn God's love and get on God's good side. It's tiring. Trust me, I've been there. But Jesus is saying, I don't expect you to be like the first worker, but I expect you to have the mindset of the last worker, that I don't deserve this, I've never deserved this, but I get to experience and know God's grace, and what an amazing thing that is for us today. You see, the truth, the starting point to knowing Jesus is this kingdom is for the humble. We likely aren't the first worker, we likely are closer to the last worker. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve God's grace. And so we know we've missed it if we start looking down on other people. You know, how many of us see other people's lives and we start comparing our situations to theirs? We grow into discontentment, we never have enough. Maybe you look at your life and you point out to God that I do this and that and those people do none of this and their life seems so good. Living this way is tiresome and it hinders your ability to live for Jesus. And so when I read a story like this, I almost feel like Jesus is saying, don't have the first worker mindset, but have the last worker mindset. We don't bring anything to the table, yet God invites us. You don't deserve his goodness, yet you receive his goodness. You don't deserve his kindness, neither do I, and yet we receive it, and that's grace. It's not about what we've done, but it's all about what's been done for us. You see, for the early church, this shaped and transformed everything about how they thought. Up until this point, this was unheard of. You see, I gained my ultimate significance from God's posture towards me, and it's a gracious posture. The people who started work early, their significance came from the way they performed, and those at the end realized that their significance came in the posture of the landowner towards them. Does it matter how we, what we do and how we spend our time? Of course it does but my behavior, my obedience, if you want to call it that, is the result of God's posture towards me, of His grace. Grace gives me not what I deserve, but what I need, and works flow from that. You see, this story tells me a lot about how I view myself. It tells me a lot about how I view other people, and it tells me a lot about how I see God. This story also tells me a lot about how I should view myself with humility, about how I need to interact with other people because we're all in the same boat, and about the amazing grace that God has for you, that God has for me. And so let me just say this before I pray and close. So even if we were an all-day worker, which forgive me, but I have my doubts, okay? Even if we are, when we get upset with others for being made equal to us by the grace of God, then the only one who suffers from that anger is us. And it cripples our ability to love him and especially love people as Jesus taught us to. My suggestion tonight is that we don't do that but that we learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. And if anyone receives the grace of God, we just think hallelujah. That's amazing. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Wouldn't it make more sense to assume that we are the ones who got full pay for almost no work? Wouldn't it make more sense to assume we got full pay for almost no work and call it grace, the grace of God, and then thank God for it? And the moment we see that, we go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think that I'm an all-day worker, but I'm the person who barely did anything at all, and yet I still received what everyone else received. I still got full pay. And the moment that you see that, the moment that you recognize that in your life, you are beginning, I think Jesus would say, to perceive the kingdom of heaven and the wonderful grace of God, which is never based upon merit. That the only sin is, how, how did Robert Capeen word it? Bookkeeping is the only punishable offense in the kingdom of heaven. You see, the world doesn't need more people who count sins or count hours or count other people's wrongs against them. Gosh, this world really needs people I think who could be counted on. And you're simply there to enjoy the amazing grace of God this weekend. My prayer is that each one of us would enjoy the amazing grace of God. Amen. Compliments of the house. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that it has power to change us. I think it has power, Lord, to help us see ourselves properly, see each other properly, and to see you properly. And Lord, nothing that I have done, Lord God, has been worthy of you, and yet you have loved me. And your mercy, Lord God, has always been with me. Your grace, Lord, God, has overwhelmed me. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts, God, that tonight we would rejoice in the goodness that you've given to us, Lord, and help us to go out into this world and offer that same thing to other people. Not people who we think deserve it, Lord, but people whom you love, and that's everyone. And so be with us, Lord. Thank you for the word tonight. As we worship you tonight, fill our hearts and point us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.